Good to see you guys. My name is Jake, one of the pastors here, and today we're going to be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 11. So go ahead and open up your Bibles, and then if you don't have a Bible, they're going to be coming by and someone will be passing it out. We're going to be in Matthew, right in verse 25, and we're just going to look at a phrase of Jesus. I have one point, and that'll be it. We'll move on with our new year. I hope you guys had a good Christmas. Um, I remember the Probably the second or third time I ever preached, I was a bundle of nerves. I was really excited. And I remember that I would just pick a few people in the audience and I would look at them because then you guys think that I'm looking at all of you. But it's just like three of you that I keep bouncing back. So for some of you, I am looking at you. The rest of you, not looking at you. The first time there was somebody in particular who was a gift from God because it was a forever reminder that I am just not that impressive. And I started preaching, and uh, this person, who I know, which I will never name, was watching me. And as I continued to, like, preach more passionately, get more excited, get more into it, slowly be comforted by the Spirit. And so I get to the gospel. I'm so, like, yes, I'm, like, I'm, I'm making the point drive home. And then I... They were sitting right over here. I, I looked. <laughs> Catching flies, like mouth completely open. Um, that's a silly story. Uh, just to remind you that uh, if you really need to rest in the middle of the service, go ahead. Take a nap. Slink into your chair. Let the presence of Christ comfort you if you had a crazy Christmas. That's totally fine. Um, in fact, I wanted to start off our time with prayer. So... Get comfortable, close your eyes. We're gonna do a, a slower, no, go ahead, for real, close your eyes. Um, we're gonna do a slower prayer. There's gonna be moments of quiet and silence. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus, we need your presence. We need you to come clothed in scripture. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Before I was working here as a pastor, I worked at a startup tech company that was based out of New York. And if you've ever worked for like a startup company, it's kind of the equivalent in the business world of working for like a cult. Um, everyone, you get five laughs for the people who have been in them. It, everything's all excitement and vision driven and it just has that vibe and culture. And I remember that I had a chance to go to New York, which I had never been to New York, but my company was based there and I got a chance to meet the CEO. And I was so pumped that I have a chance to ask him questions about leadership, I would have a chance to pick his brain. So we sit down and start asking a list of questions that I thought would be good questions to ask to impress him. And then I got to the end of it and I said, hey, one question I did want to ask you is you are a CEO of a company. How do you manage work-life balance? And he looks at me and he goes, what work-life balance? 
I haven't seen a movie in four years. And then begin to brag about how when everybody else goes home from the office, he makes sure he stays late into the office. And when everybody comes into the office, he is already there in the office working ahead of people. And I was like, oh, okay, thanks for the answer. And then I left. <clears throat> and uh, the rest of the week I spent being with people who work in New York. And uh, I would try to see the sights in New York. And every day I'd come back and I'd tell somebody in the office what I had seen. And over and over again, people would tell me, wow, man, you've seen more of New York than I have living here for eight years. Because the culture was just a nonstop work culture. The, the vibe was just keep going, work, 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 work. And it just, over the years, has seemed to spread throughout all of the U.S. It's just become the culture. I ended up quitting that job and getting into pastoral ministry and working with college students. And I thought, surely that kind of vibe of busyness and go, go, go and working won't carry over into ministry life, right? And then I began to hear this pattern of everyone saying, oh, how are you? Tired. Busy. Those were the two answers I heard. That was it. <laughs> and uh, here, here's the one thing I want us to hear as we go into the new year. I only have one point, and we're going to go through some teachings of Jesus. The one point is that Jesus is the only source of rest for the world. And I think we really need to hear that today. I was just kind of talking out loud to Josh Butler and his wife Holly about some of the frustrations that I have with talking to people about Jesus for the first time, whether it be on campus or Alpha or in discipleship conversations. And I said out loud, and then as I said, I was like, wow, that's, I feel like that's true. I said, the number one roadblock that I see people having of engaging with Jesus is not some theological question. It's not even this doctrine that they might disagree with in the rest of the world. It might not be questions about science or sexuality. The number one thing that gets in the way of people actually encountering Jesus is busyness. And I think it's one of the most common things that gets in the way of deep Christian spirituality is busyness. And I think that it is so pervasive that it's demonic. I think it's a power in our world that is absolutely destructive, and I think it's one of the blind sides of our rearview mirror. And I think that we live in a world that gives really no space for stillness. Boredom's a bad thing. We pride ourselves on how exhausted we are, and we let everybody know how important and valuable we are based on how many things that we see. I mean, if, if, if you are worried about your kids walking away from Jesus, the number one thing that's not going to get in the way of them is not going to be learning about evolution in the schools. It's going to be the six nights of the week that the club sports demand to be there. Because we will not have any space to actually interact and engage with God. We're not going to have any space for stillness. And so Satan doesn't even really need to tempt the church. He just keep them busy the whole time. And I, I, so I know by the, honestly, I've been writing this sermon for the last couple of weeks, and I know by the end of it, I feel like I'm going to sound like part Amish, part fundamentalist. Um, <laughs> mostly it's because I really, really feel this and struggle with this myself. And so I just feel kind of this burn to go pretty hard at something, and I just need, as, as, as a family, I need like kind of the grace for you guys to know that a lot of things I'm going to talk about are good creational things that God has made. But anytime we make something an ultimate thing, it becomes idolatrous and demonic. Always. Lots of things in creation are really good servants, but they're really bad masters. And so I, I want to begin with a story that 
starts all the way back in uh, Genesis, because when I started reading more and more books about Sabbath and rest and busyness culture and other pastors who are also thinking about this, there's a lot of stories that we can talk about about how our culture in the West has gotten here through industrialization, through consumerism, the way our structure of our society is set up. But really the main reason that we have this kind of low-hanging fog of busyness in our culture is this goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel. This is in Genesis 11. It said, they said to one another, come, let us make bricks, burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops into the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. The rest of the story is God comes down, he tears down Babel. Why does God tear down Babel? That's always been an odd story to me. Like he scatters them, they leave the tower there, they don't finish it. And it's always been kind of this odd story to me. And then after hearing Jesus' words, I begin to realize, why did he tear down Babel? Because rather than crying out to God to bring heaven to earth and fix everything, they decided they would build earth up to heaven. And ever since then, human beings, even though Babel got torn down, have been trying again and again and again in our own ways to build up heaven on earth, or in another way, build earth up to heaven apart from God. And it always ends up in slavery and the death of human beings. For the sake of establishing a greater Egyptian empire, Pharaoh enslaved the Israelites. For the sake of creating a greater Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar leveled Jerusalem and he took God's people to exile. For the sake of entertainment, Rome built the Colosseum. For the sake of a free and profitable 13 colonies, we built plantations and drafted Jim Crow. For the sake of the new order and a pure Germany, concentration camps were built over and over and over again. Whenever a human society or an empire begins to do as best as it can to create heaven on earth in its own power, it always leads to the slavery of humanity. And I think that it's just happened in our modern society, but a little bit more of a harder to see kind of way. It just ends up creating this low-hanging fog of anxiety, tiredness, busyness. You can't concentrate. It's hard to interact with each other and have real moments and real conversations. We're void of any kind of prayer. I think that this is something that we really need to hear these words of Jesus and this invitation from. Because the good news is that God always stands against Babel. He always stands against the legacy of building up heaven on our own because it always brings the enslavement of humanity. So Jesus, before he gets to that invitation to come and find rest, he says this in verse 25. <clears throat> At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Jesus' invitation to rest begins with thanksgiving. He's thanking his Father because he always stands against Babel. The one hope that we have for rest in this world is always going to be Jesus. But before the invitation is extended, Jesus makes very clear, there is no way of getting this without the posture of a child. He 
You cannot be the wise and the understanding by your own might, by your own power, by your own thoughts, by your own ways, and understand the things of what Jesus is doing in the kingdom. There's just no possible way. You don't get rest unless you first get a chance to come to God and say, this is not working, I am really tired. It's like a child who you try to put down for a nap and fusses and cries and then throws tantrums and then screams, I'm not tired! And the longer it goes on, the more ridiculous it gets because it's like, clearly, you're very tired. We do not get rest unless coming to God first, laying down our own attempts at making heaven on earth and saying, I'm tired, this is not working. Um, one of uh, my favorite bands is 21 Pilots. Do you guys know about 21 Pilots? Three of you guys are denying. That's fine. <clears throat> so here's some lines from a song I like. It's called Car Radio. It goes, sometimes quiet is violent. I find it hard to hide. My pride is no longer inside. It's on my sleeve. My skin will scream, reminding me of who I killed inside my dreams. I hate this car that I'm driving. There's no hiding from me. I'm forced to deal with what I feel. There is no distraction to mask what is real. I could pull the steering wheel. I have these thoughts so often I ought to replace the slot with what I once bought because somebody stole my car radio and now I just sit in silence. Part of the symptom of our culture I think that's so broken right now is that we don't know how to be silent without panicking because it is like a diagnostic of what's actually going on in our hearts. We're void of stillness and quiet because we have used busyness as a way to avoid actually coming to God with our wounds, our hurts, our anxieties, our fears. Because instead, what you can do is you can just cover it up by busyness, whatever that busyness might be in all types of forms. It might be busyness in entertainment. It might be busyness in workaholism. It might be busyness in constantly filling your time every downtime moment with social media interaction. It is just busyness. I've got a fire alarm in my house. And I don't know why they built the house this way, but they put it in the kitchen. So every time I'm cooking bacon, the fire alarm goes off. And it's the most annoying thing in the world because usually I'm up in the morning and someone's sleeping. And so I like have to run to the alarm and I have to like undo it off of there. And then in my anger, I open the door and I just throw it into the backyard like I'm bowling into like the trees. Busyness is kind of like our way of covering up the fire alarm so it doesn't go off when our hearts are crying out inside for peace and rest with God. And so we don't know how to have it. And so what Jesus begins this invitation is reminding us that you don't get to have rest without first realizing that you need it. You can't say, I have this all figured out and then find rest. It only comes with the posture of a child. So Jesus thanks his father, and then he says, All things have been handed over to me by my father, and no one knows the son except the father. No one knows the father except the son, and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. What he said before inviting us into rest is that he's making it abundantly, abundantly clear. Rest is tied only to Jesus. Rest is tied exclusively and only he says that by giving us an insight into seeing that no one really knows God except Jesus, the Son. And no one really knows Jesus except for the Father. And really, there's no way into this unless Jesus chooses to reveal himself. Which just seemed to me when I was first reading this to be kind of an odd connection to that invitation to rest. 
He'd say this, and then he'd say, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why would Jesus say in the middle of this, no one knows the Father except me, and no one knows me except the Father? Because rest is tied to the exclusivity of Jesus. You only find rest in Jesus. There is no other space for it. There is no other attempt at it. There is no other way that we can actually find rest besides intimate, deep relationship with God. That's it. There is no way for rest besides that. In fact, it gives kind of like an image for us why Jesus had so much rest, because Jesus is the king of rest. I mean, he was falling asleep in storms. Like, he is so good at resting that people are waking him up in the middle of a typhoon and saying, don't you care that we're dying? And he wakes up, rebukes the storm, and says, why are you freaking out so much? Don't you have any faith? I wish I could have been there, dude. Excuse me? It's just a storm in the middle of, we are drowning, and you, Jesus is asleep in the storm. That is, that is my new definition of rest for 2020, sleeping in the storm. How can he be there? How could he have that much rest? I've always wondered that. Like, how could you be that secure and that stable that even when things are crazy, you can still find rest? I remember uh, one of the times that I felt most rested in my life was when I was doing wrestling. And the reason that was, I remember particularly one of the times I felt the most rested in my life, was my junior year, state finals, I had this chance to wrestle my arch nemesis that year. We had wrestled multiple times back and forth. I had lost twice against him, but it was always by one point. And I was like, this is it. My life is on the line. I'm going to defeat him in the finals. And so we get to this final match. We wrestle, and I beat him by two points. I know. I'm excited, too. <laughs> and... Uh, my favorite thing. I used to tell my little brothers growing up, I was like, let me just promise you, nobody cares how you did in state and wrestling. <laughs> no one will ever remember or worry about it. So even though it's, I know that's true now, back then I thought it was the world. So I got done with this match and I would go home, I would turn on the shower and I would just lay down in the shower, like completely like fall asleep in the shower. It was the most rested I'd ever felt. I had accomplished everything. I had fought, and I had a chance to show the world. You guys laugh about this. I really thought this as a high schooler. I had a chance to prove that I was actually worth something. And so I felt like I had a chance to rest. And the bummer about that is that it would fade in a couple of days. Because that is rest by completion. It's rest by accomplishment. But it always goes away, and the sucky thing about it is that you have to complete or do something again to earn your rest. Because it's a way to show that we have value to ourselves, right? It's a way to make us feel like, okay, now I can lay down my burdens because I've done something. And yet, Jesus is in the middle of a storm, and he's taking a nap. How could he do that? Because in Matthew 3... It says, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, listen to this, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Before Jesus ever did a miracle, before he ever preached a sermon, before he raised anybody from the dead, before he taught on the kingdom, his father looked down at his son and said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. 
That's why Jesus can say, no one knows me but my Father. And no one knows the Father but me. There is a deep, rich intimacy that Jesus has with his Father that's so core to who he is. And here's the beautiful thing about it. It has nothing to do with what he has accomplished. Rest based on accomplishment goes like this. And eventually we get tired out. And it wears us into anxiety. Yet Jesus has rest that's based on intimate knowledge that his father loves him before he did anything and accomplished anything. That's the kind of rest that I want. That's the kind of rest that I think our world would really like. It's the kind of rest that I think that we all desire and need. It's the kind of rest that goes, it doesn't matter what I have accomplished or not accomplished. I will find rest in intimate knowing of the father. And Jesus invites us to it. He invites us to it. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Seeing what true rest looks like exposes fake rest. And our world has a ton of fake rest. Because the legacy of Babel is that it has to produce fake counterfeits of rest because human beings, we were all created for rest. You know what's a trippy thing to think about? The first day that Adam and Eve were ever alive, what day was it? Sabbath day. The first full human day that they ever had was Sabbath day. God did not create them on day one and then have them work through the week and then earn a Sabbath. He gave them the Sabbath as a gift and then said, now out of your rest, you may go and work. But we turn work as the earnings for our right to be able to rest forgetting that God created rest as foundational to creation. And our world, because it doesn't have that rest, creates counterfeits. And here are just some of the counterfeits, I'm sure there's way more than this, that I notice the most. The first counterfeit rest is finding your rest in completion, which is, is me resting. Finding our rest and accomplishing something. This is when we have anxiety about our task list that hasn't been able to get done before the weekend because really deep down in our hearts, we know I cannot rest until I've accomplished enough to earn it. And that brings a load of human burden. The second counterfeit rest, and I think this is probably the most common form of fake rest today, is rest in consumption. Rest in consumption is one more scroll through the Instagram account and I might see something that'll give me juice to life. One more episode on the next show and I'll finally be rested. One more snack late at night and then I'll finally be able to take it easy. One more adventure or travel experience, we can turn relationships into consumption. That's one of the ugliest things about our consumeristic consult culture is that our world has promised and told us that you can find rest if you can just consume enough, and it is a lie. It's one of the most evil things about our culture because it keeps us tired, it makes us burnt out, and we're constantly searching for the next experience, the next thing to consume, the next thing to get after, and it leaves our nerve endings numb. No wonder I find it so hard to sit down with the Bible for longer than 30 seconds and not feel bored. It's not because the Bible is boring, it's because I'm boring. It's because my nerve endings have gotten singed off the constant stimulation, off the next show, the next adventure, the next thing. It's always the newer technology. It's always something to consume. And if you consume enough, the world promises you will find rest. But 
well, what about our room for solitude? What about our space to actually listen to the voice of God? What about our time to be alone and to pray and to weep when we are actually hurting and when we have a chance to go to God and dream together with him on what might be next? No, 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 we're going to cover it over with more and more and more and more and more and more until we're exhausted. Have you guys ever watched like six episodes of something on Netflix and you spent like nine hours over into a night and you thought this was going to be the most restful thing in the world. Maybe you poured yourself a glass of wine or your favorite beverage and by the end of it, you go, my brain feels like it's falling out of my ears. Just, just me. You guys think it's a funny thing. Okay. This is crazy. Um, okay, by the way, this is where I'm going to sound like a fundamentalist again. Um, <laughs> I think good stories are really beautiful and they can draw us near to God. Okay, now I said that. Caveat. This is what the Netflix CEO, Reed Hastings, had claimed that the streaming giant's biggest rivals aren't Amazon, YouTube, or even traditional broadcasters. According to Mr. Hastings, our need for sleep is actually the main barrier. And he says, I quote, you know, think about it. When you watch a show from Netflix and get addicted to it, you stay up late at night, he said. We're competing with sleep on the margin, and so it's a very large pool of time. We are so exhausted because we believe the modern lie that we're going to find rest if we just consume enough. We've lost the art of learning how to listen to God because all our time is filled with every little moment of something. And this is, leads into our third counterfeit. Find your rest in control. This is when we believe the lie that I'll have rest when I can control the circumstances of life which will never happen. One of the things about modern life is that we have taken away all of the idols in the most obvious sense, like back in Rome's time where you make like a little idol. Now we've taken those all away and we say, oh, we don't believe those crazy things anymore. We're modern people. What it's effectively done though, it is made human beings ourselves our own gods. And so what, we, what happens in that, in a culture like that, is we can't find rest because if we are God, we have to control the circumstances. We can't slow down. We can't take peace because we can't sleep because who's going to watch the world when we go to bed? And uh, this is one of the more enslaving ones. It's one of the reasons that I think that we are so crippled by mental health today. So all these bad masters really bad masters, they don't actually provide rest. And Jesus invites us to rest. So we're going to read that verse again. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is the only source of rest. There is no other place that we might find rest for our souls but Jesus. The interesting thing is he says there, come to me, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Traditionally, a yoke had a negative connotation. 
I mean, you had the image of an animal of burden having either yokes across the shoulders to pull a load, but often you had, too, the image of a human being putting something onto their shoulders to be able to drag a heavy burden. And so that kind of image would have been picked up and used as early as the book of Samuel to talk about wicked kings who would put a burden on the people of slavery. Yoke had a negative connotation, and it always had a negative connotation because when human beings are king, it's always bad. It always ends in slavery at the end of the day, in one form or another. What's so different here is that Jesus invites us to take a new yoke onto our shoulders, his yoke. And it's a yoke that is not going to bring oppression. It's not going to bring a burden. It's not going to bring slavery. It's actually going to bring rest. And it seems to be kind of like the different answer of what you would expect, right? Like you'd expect Jesus almost to say, you have a yoke on your shoulder, take the yoke off. You don't need a yoke anymore. You're free in me. You need nothing. Because at least for me, what we assume in, in our world today is freedom from everything is what's really going to give me rest, which is a lie. Freedom for something is what gives me Freedom from anything is the modern lie that says you don't need to be bound to anyone or anything. Don't let rules or limitations or any form of life shape you in a way that's limiting to you. It's stifling. It's oppressive. Interestingly enough, though, all the things that we just named, the fake counterfeits that we see in our world, are our world's attempt to make money off of getting you to trade the only resource that human beings have the exact same amount of time as. Every single one of us has the same amount of hours in a week as the next person to us. Interestingly, too, we have the exact same amount of hours during our week as Jesus did. And he had a far greater burden, a far greater mission, a far greater task. And if anybody else could really get stressed out because of the burden that he has, it would be Jesus, the son of God who comes to save the world. And yet what do we see through his life? He's rested all the time. People would panic and they would go to him and say, Jesus, people are looking for you. They want to get healed. And Jesus would be spent all night praying with his father and he'd say, eh, we're going to go to a new city. Time for me to move on. And he would be rested. Jesus invites us to take his yoke and his yoke is a way of life. This is actually one of those things where we can look at Jesus and how he lived and begin to learn from how his life was. If you wanted to model your life after any successful individual that you saw in the world, what you would do is you would try to learn from them, learn their habits, learn how they live in every single way and begin to copy and mimic that. And for whatever reason, I don't know why, but we don't necessarily do this a ton with Jesus. We take his advice, we take his words, we take the truth that he gives, and we believe it, and we try to hold on to it. But very few times do I realize that we look at the life of Jesus and go, how did he live? What did he do when he got up in the morning? What was his rhythms of life? What was his habits and practices? I want to copy and live that. And so I want to invite us to look at the life of Jesus, and there's a couple of habits that I think that we can find rest from actually seeing Jesus and mimicking him. The first one is that Jesus had rest because not even his mission was allowed to get in the way of intimacy with his father. Nothing was allowed to get in the way of him spending time with his father. We see this in Mark 1, 
It says, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let's go out on to the next town that I may preach there also. For that's why I came out. Over and over you see Jesus retreating into desolate spaces, into quiet times, and he would pray, and he would fast, and he would be with his father. And it's an amazing thing. Like, he has the greatest mission of all. And yet Jesus, the son of God, doesn't even allow any sort of mission, anything that he has go on, get in the way of intimate time with his father. I don't know why, but sometimes I find in my life that I allow myself to believe that whatever I have is going on is more important than intimate time with the father. That I will look at my daily schedule and before I can even get up and spend any time with God, I'll let it create anxiety in me before I get a quiet time and spend time with Jesus. I don't know why that is. I don't, I don't know why that burden comes to us. I don't know why we can't look at Jesus and go, he did it. He ran away all the time to the wilderness and spent time quietly with his father and engaging with him. And so it's not going to be anything crazy or foundational, but the first tip, the first thing that I think we need to mimic of Jesus is spending time with God the Father in prayer, in silence, and solitude. And anything that tries to get in the way, to say no. To say no. If we spend upwards of four to five hours on Netflix, TV, social media, and not 30 minutes of prayer in a week, what image do you think we will be shaped into? Whatever image that someone who wants to make money off of us wants to. The second thing that I noticed of Jesus is that Jesus' participation with the Father gave him rest. In God's, John's gospel, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Here's the second tip that I would say. Get up every morning, pray, and say, God, what do you want me to do today? And then don't do anything else that anybody else says. <laughs> Just do what God the Father has given you to do. Just do what God has given us to do. I mean, the rest that comes from going, I'm only going to do what I think God has given me to do. That takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of listening. It takes a lot of solitude. But Jesus seemed to find his constant rest by only doing what the Father wanted him to do and letting all the other noises get drowned out. The third thing, and I think this is one of the biggest things right now, to be honest, is that Jesus kept the Sabbath. We sometimes today, I don't know why this is, we look at the teachings of Jesus, especially on the Sabbath, and the way that he almost updates and fulfills the Sabbath and says that he is Lord of the Sabbath and begins to correct the Pharisees and kind of the crazy thinking that they would have to the point where he couldn't even heal people on the Sabbath. We take this as if Jesus is saying the Sabbath is no longer part of the Ten Commandments. None of us would ever have an argument that murder in the new covenant is good or bad. We all know God says, thou shalt not murder. Not a question. But for whatever reason, the Sabbath gets kind of kicked to the back burner. As if it wasn't something that God created before anything. As if it wasn't something that he created in foundationally how he built the world. Jesus kept the Sabbath as a day of life bringing, healing, and renewal. I think one of the things that we can do in following Jesus that is going to have the most impact pushing back against this culture of busyness is keeping a sabbath day the beauty of jesus is that we have the freedom to pick whatever day we want 
we also have the freedom to really like practice and experiment on what's going to bring true Sabbath rest for us and for our families. And it becomes really quite an experiment of living in God's rule and reign. But I'm telling you, the moment that we as the people of God begin to practice Sabbath seriously and we go to work and people ask us, how was your weekend? And our response is, it was really good. I feel so rested, at peace, unhurried. People are going to look at you like an alien. And it's also going to be incredibly attractive. It's also going to be one of the marks of God's people that's going to be so changing to the world. So I really didn't know how to end this sermon, to be honest. (laughs) I had been writing it. And one of the things that I just struggled with, honestly, is that when it comes to busyness and when it comes to culture, culture is so incredibly powerful because you don't even notice it until you push back against it. Like you won't even notice that your life feels busy. You'll just have these moments of breakdown or exhaustion. You won't know where it comes from. You won't even notice that this culture is absolutely designed to keep you going constantly. And so it just feels insurmountable to me in a lot of ways. Sorry to be encouraging on this morning. Um, So here's how I wanted us to end today. Um, Whether it's Babel, Babylon, Egypt, Rome, the problem is always a bad thing. It's always human beings elevating some form of rulership or leader or culture in the place of God and trying to create heaven on earth. Rest comes from the true king. Rest comes only in Jesus. And so finishing this year... I wanted us to kind of go out and continue the spirit of Advent, which Advent spirit really is, come Lord Jesus, please come back, come quickly, and restore this world and heal us. And so I wanted to read from uh, the book of Revelation as a way just to kind of stoke our imaginations. Uh, This is something that I've been reading through for the uh, last couple of weeks uh, for, for Advent, is the book of Revelation. And so this is in Revelation chapter 18. And you could just listen along with me. This is starting up in verse 21. It says, Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a sea and a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. The sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more, and a craftsman of any craft will be found in you. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. The light of the lamp will shine in you no more. The voice of the bride and the bridegroom will be heard in you no more. For merchants who are great ones of the earth and all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and all of whom have been slain on the earth. Revelation gives this picture that the end of the legacy of Babel is that God's going to finally come and destroy it. And the one that's going to come and destroy it is going to be Jesus, the final king. And this is some of the last words of the Bible. This is in 19, Revelation. It says, Then I saw heaven and earth, or heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He, was in a, he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. 
From his mouth comes a sharp sword, which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. The only hope that we truly have for rest in this world is in our returning king. He's going to fix it one day. He's going to restore the world to where no longer empires can go on threatening to destroy humanity with constant, incessant slavery, busyness, worry. And so my invitation for us today is the band comes on the stage and as we finish up and we go into a time of taking communion, is to begin to just extend that invitation that Jesus gives. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Our rest comes from living in the life of Jesus because he's a better king. He's a better king than we could ever have or hope for. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your invitation to rest for us. The way you love us, the way you invite us to step into that intimate relationship that you have with the Father in a deep way, the way that you invite us, Lord, to have so much hope in you. So I ask now that you bring us into a new season, Lord, that you would teach us what it means to come to you find in you and to rest in you. It's your name we pray, amen. To give you guys a moment to reflect, and before you come to the table, before somebody comes and leads us in a time of response, my invitation would just be to find rest in Jesus and whatever that looks like, and even encourage you to worship in that posture. Maybe it's sitting down, maybe it's standing, but to find rest in Christ.